Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. A couple things I want us to pray for. Um, I think it was two Sundays ago. Was it last Sunday or two Sundays ago we celebrated baptism? Two. Thank you, JB. Uh, We celebrated with uh, uh, Dewey Bennett and his family. And uh, you heard his, his testimony. Well, Dewey went home to be with the Lord yesterday. Yeah, he did. And uh, so we're grieving with his wife and children. And um, Pastor Jay Vineyard uh, on our team has been walking with them through, through this journey. And he's helping them, especially across the next couple of days uh, as they uh, make arrangements. We, that won't be done until tomorrow, so we don't know the arrangement yet arrangements yet. So please, as a church family, would you pay close attention to any communication you get from us, emails or calling posts or something like that. We try to let the church family know uh, when when uh, funerals are. Because uh, r- just a reminder, it's been a while. Uh, so let me remind you, uh, Christians go to funerals. We go to funerals. And uh, over in Romans chapter 12, about verse 15, I think, somewhere along in there, we find very practical uh, instructions from the Lord to followers of Jesus about how to live lives of maximum impact for His glory and the good of people. And it's very simple, but very powerful. No, simple is powerful. Simplistic is not, but simple is powerful. And He just says this to those of us who walk with Jesus and who walk with His people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Remember, death is inconvenient. Uh, And so it probably won't be convenient for you to make arrangements to attend Dewey's funeral. You might not not know him because they were here just since February. Uh, But that does not matter. Uh, You will be a source of great comfort just by showing up. It's called, in, in the Christian world, it's called the ministry of presence. Just being present. Because when you show up, Jesus shows up. He indwells you by His Spirit. You don't have to have answers. You're probably not going to untie untangle all the mysteries of life and death uh, to be able to explain those in a way. Uh, in, in matter of fact, when people are grieving, the last thing they need is a theology lesson. They don't need theology. Then they need the love of Jesus through His people. So if you know, be listening. We'll try to communicate that. Um, uh, to you in the next few days, but be praying for the Bennett family uh, as well. Be sure to be sure to do that. Well, uh, it is uh, it is Father's Day, and uh, so I have a I have a message uh, to fathers uh, and everybody else in the room today. So uh, it's not just specifically to or about fathers, but it is for all of you uh, because I've I've discovered statistics tell us that at least in the Western world, at least in the United States of America, that you ladies uh, tend to believe in and follow Jesus at uh, easier and at a higher rate than we men and fathers do. Um, you have a tend, you have a seem to 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 believe in Jesus and follow Jesus at a higher rate than we fathers do. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. I think it has something to do with sin. 
And uh, let's, let's, I wonder, do you, have you ever wondered what the world's worst sin is? You ever wondered? You know, we rate, we tend to rank, people rank sins uh, differently. Uh, in fact, let's take a poll. It, you know, worship is a participation sport, so this is your time for congregational participation. Uh, I want you to vote on what you think is the worst sin in the world. I'm going to have you raise your hand. So just a little raising hands practice here before we start. On three, raise your hand to warm up. Three. There you go. Good, good. Okay, so now I know you can do it. Here we go. Let's, let's take a poll just on God's top ten list, the Ten Commandments, uh, and and let's if if one of these is on your list as the worst sin in the world, raise your hand. Now it might not be one of these for you, but maybe it is. So let's try this. If you would say that worshiping someone or something else other than the the Lord our God of the Bible, that'd be the worst sin in the world. Raise your hand. That's the worst one. Okay, there you go. How about taking the Lord's name in vain? Worst sin in the world. Okay. How about failing to observe the Sabbath day? You say, boy, you see, that was an opportunity because you're here observing. You could have raised your hand and said, those sorry outfits who aren't here, they're the worst sinners in the world. You know, but anyway, worst, failing to observe the Sabbath day. How about dishonoring your parents? Worst sin in the world. How about, um, okay, that, that's good. That was, that was, that, you rated that one higher than the next one. How about committing murder? Okay. Some of you said, well, no, maybe it's that one. Yeah, no, that one. You're up every time. You said, boy, it gets, yeah. You said, oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, how about stealing? How about lying? How about lying about stealing? Okay. Uh, how about coveting someone else's possessions? How about coveting someone else's spouse? Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I, I realize we might could add some others to, uh, uh, to the, at least toward the top of the list of the world's worst uh, sins, like parking in a handicapped space without having a permit. You know, those of us who have people near and dear to them uh, who have handicaps, we get a little hot under the collar about that. I tend to notice that one. Um, how about eating trans fats? How about not believing in global warming? You know, that's, uh, well, you know, we people rate sins differently. People rate sins differently. Uh, but would you like to know what sin is at the top of the list of the Lord Jesus of the worst sins in the world? He has, he has one. Would you like to know what it is? Disbelief. Worst sin in the world? Disbelief in Jesus? Yes, he says that's the worst sin in the world. You must say, what? Disbelief is the worst sin in the world? I could think of there are many that bother me much more than that. Are you saying that failure to believe in and trust in Jesus is the worst sin in the world? That's not even on many, 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 many people's list at all. And it's not. It's not on some people's list at all. In fact, many people would say just the opposite. Many people would say that to believe in Jesus, to believe that He is the only way to God, to believe that He is the only way to heaven, to believe that He is the only way that is right for all people in all places, that His commandments and His moral and ethical standards are true and right and authoritative 
for all nations and all peoples everywhere at all times. That every person in the whole world should bow their knee down and give themselves to Jesus and worship Jesus as their God. They would say, that's unethical. That is bad behavior. That is even sinful. And many people, many people say this. That it's the opposite. That is the opposite. And, and, they, and many go a step further to say, and then to proselytize? You know, that's to try to convince people to change their beliefs and to believe in something else. And for us Christians, for us Christians to try to persuade people. And you say, I think, sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, I think, it, I think you are unethical. I think it is bad behavior. I think it is sinful for you to try to persuade people to, to change their beliefs. And my answer is always, so, like, are you trying to persuade me to that position? You know, but, but many say to proselytize is, is even the worst to, to preach this as good news and as necessary to other people and try to convince them uh, to convert and to believe in Jesus. To do that is a terrible, terrible thing. People who do that are, are terrible, unethical, sinful even. So... So people even say the opposite. Well, what, well, you might think this way. Uh, and if you do, you're not the first. You're not the first. People have believed this since the days that Jesus walked physically on, on this earth. And in fact, the question raises the question, why do so many people disbelieve in Jesus? Because many, many, many people disbelieve in Jesus. Many disbelieve. Why? Have you ever wondered why? Why do so many people disbelieve in Jesus? Jesus had that question Himself. And in fact, He encountered, when He was in His earthly ministry, an entire generation of people uh, who chose to disbelieve, who would not believe in Him. And the account uh, of this, one of the accounts of this is found in Matthew chapter 11. In fact, yes, we're back there today for the fourth Sunday in a row in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 16 down through verse 24. If you would take your copy of the scriptures, if you'd take your copy of the Bible and find your way to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew chapter 11, scroll down to verse 16. uh, You follow along and I'll read this passage aloud. Jesus is addressing a crowd of people uh, in this setting. And here's what he said. This is God's word. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus says, me... The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, you will, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, that was code word for the worst city in all of history, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and on the day of judgment than for you. Let me see your eyes a second. Here in this setting, Jesus challenged the unbelief of the people in that crowd listening to Him teach that day, and He passed judgment on them for choosing to reject His message of the kingdom of God, not only the message of the kingdom of God that had come not only through Him, but also from John uh, the Baptist. He passed judgment upon them. Here's the big point for you and me. Willfully, willfully choosing unbelief in Jesus in the face of all of the evidence that He has provided us has serious consequences. Serious consequences. Uh, Sometimes people will say, Dave, you've heard this just once or twice in your ministry. Well, what about someone in the far deep dark jungles of the South American continent who've never uh, heard what happens to them as a way of saying, well, see, there's no reason for me to believe because who knows what happens to them. Well, there's an answer for that. We'll get to that on another day. But this passage deals with the opposite. He says, what about those people who have been overwhelmed by the availability of Jesus and the Word of God all their life and seen all of His work done in many, 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 many countless people who willfully choose to reject Him? What happens to them? Bad stuff. And that's us. That is us. Why do so many people disbelieve in Jesus? You know, there are many reasons that people have difficulty uh, believing in Christianity or believing in and following Jesus. There are many reasons, many questions that people have, barriers that come up, and people legitimately want answers. There are many reasons. But Jesus here says something significant. This is not the only place He says it. In, his, in the Scriptures, he says there are reasons, but there's a reason under the reasons. Now that's a phrase not original with me. Many of the many Christians, many of the commentators, many of the writers and thinkers and followers of Jesus down through the ages have used that phrase. There's a reason under the reasons. And here he deals primarily with the big reason under the reasons. The reason under the reasons for unbelief. Why do, why do so many people disbelieve in Jesus? Why do you? If you're a skeptic, why do, why do you? Why do the skeptics or the questioners that you know, why do they, why do they disbelieve in, in Jesus? Well, Jesus gets to a reason under the reasons. And now, and let me say this, the reason under the reasons is, so, is difficult to ascertain because Jesus also says we can hold to the reason under the reasons and not realize that we do not realize that we do. For example, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, Robert, I believe about verse 18, Robert's favorite book in the New Testament, uh, God says in His Word that we human beings have a a certain capacity that's not really great for us. We have the capacity because of our godlessness and wickedness to suppress the truth. And that means that we have the he means we have the ability to suppress the truth to ourselves. 
We are the only creatures that God created who have the ability, who have the capacity. I say this from time to time. You've heard it before. Uh, we have the capacity to lie to ourselves and believe our own lie. It's called being, you ever heard the term self-deceived? You ever heard that? We, we, we're, at some point in our life, we are all self-deceived. We, as, as the, there's some, buddy, you might be old enough to remember the comic strip Pogo. Maybe, maybe. Pogo was famous for saying his most famous quote, we have met the enemy and he is us. You know, we're our own worst enemy most of the time. And when it comes to spiritual things, we are our own worst enemy in that we will suppress the truth to ourselves in order to rationalize what we say, think, do, choose, and feel. And so we can be holding to this reason under the reasons for rejecting belief in Jesus and not realize that we do. So watch out. So here, Jesus, in His Word, providentially, leaves us some teaching to help pull the blinders off our eyes and understand uh, what is, is going on here. What is going on here. So, the re- so, okay, well, tell us what that reason is. Well, let me. here we go. Take a look at verse 16 through verse 19. Jesus gives an illustration here. He says, to what should I compare this generation? He's talking to this crowd many of whom had rejected Him. It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came eating, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, well, he has a demon. He's a little bit too severe. He's a little bit too narrow. He's a little bit too confrontive. Then I, the Son of Man, come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The illustration here that Jesus gives is children playing in the marketplace. Now, uh, in, in, in the villages of Jesus' day, the towns and villages, there was an open market where people would come and, and buy and sell, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the shopping center, the Walmart, the, the grocery stores of the day, and children would always come along. That's where everybody met to buy their food and uh, sell their wares and conduct business and socialize and catch up with what's going on. All the kids would come and that's where they would meet and play while their parents were shopping and socializing. And so as kids do, they they had games that they liked to play. Let's play this or let's play that. Let's play this or let's, let's play that. Well, two of the games that the kids in that part of the world would play when they gathered in the marketplace, uh, one was wedding and one was funeral. One was wedding and one was funeral. You know, so they, they saw weddings take place in their communities all the time. They saw funerals and funeral processions taking place in that uh, first century Jewish culture. Um, uh, you know, frequently they were very familiar with both of those. And so somebody would say, let's play wedding. Uh, and so, they'd, and so some, they would decide, well, you're going to be the bride and you're going to be the groom and you'll be the rabbi and you'll be the, the attendants and you'll be the musicians. You know, he's saying, we played the flute for you. Let's play wedding. Uh, sometimes, uh, sounds a little morbid to us, but they said, let's play funeral. Because they were, they, you know, they were a little more accustomed. They didn't hide themselves from death in that culture as much as we do in our culture today. Let's play funeral. You'll be the rabbi and this will be the procession and we'll be the mourners and, and so on. And, uh, but as children 
often do when they gather to play, rather than being childlike, they are childish. They are argumentative. They are self-centered. They want to have it their own way. They argue about what we're going to play and who's going to be in charge. And I want it my way. No, no, no. Well, if you're not going to do it like I want to do it, I'm not playing. I'm taking my ball and going home, uh, so, so to speak. So Jesus says to them here, um, you remind me of kids playing in, in, in the marketplace. Some said, we, we, we played the flute for you. That meant we, it was a, a, the wedding march of the day. But you wouldn't dance at the wedding. No, I'm not, I don't want to do it that way. Well, this is okay. Well, let's play funeral. So we sang a funeral song. No, no, I, didn't want, I don't want to do it. What, what's the problem? They wanted to have their own way. They wanted the playtime to be exactly the way they wanted it to be or no deal. Or no deal at, at all. Jesus compared the generation of people listening to Him that day when it came to the kingdom of God, God's will and His ways for human beings as self-centered, childish people who just wanted to have it their own way. He said John the Baptist came. After 400 years of silence, God sent John the Baptist, the, the, the more than a prophet guy, to proclaim the kingdom of God is coming. So prepare your hearts, repent of your sins, and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you said, no, nah, that's not the way I want to do it. That's, that's not the way I see God. That's not the way I'm going to... I'm not buying in. I'm not believing John's message. I'm rejecting him. By the way, he's just has a demon. He's so weird out there wearing camel hair clothes and eating locusts and wild honey. And, you know, so, so they said bad things about the, not only the message, but the messenger. You know, like him. Then Jesus came and said, the, son, the kingdom of God is now here. I have shown up. The Messiah is here. And he said, no, 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 no. I don't like it that way. I don't want the Messiah to be, I, because I don't want it that way at all. They rejected God's agenda. They refused to submit to God's agenda. There are many reasons that people disbelieve in Jesus, but there is a reason under the reasons, and here it is. Self-autonomy. Self-autonomy. I'm not saying this. I'm not making this up. You take it up with Jesus. But if you're if you're saying I I I don't I don't I got I I can't really believe this about Christianity. I don't like that about Christianity. I don't like this about Jesus. I don't like that. that. Those may be legitimate questions that you need to get some answers for. But Jesus says you really just don't want to give up power. Now you may not realize that. You may have suppressed it in your heart. But you want power. He's saying there, while there are many reasons we have difficulty, good re- I mean, things that need to be dealt with, difficulty believing in and trusting in and following Jesus, the big reason is not that you cannot believe in me, but that you will not believe in me. In another place in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus was standing, weeping over the whole city of Jerusalem. And here's what He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He does not say there, but you were not able. Not that you cannot but that you 
will not. This is, this is hard when we're on the spiritual journey to Jesus. To, it's hard to hear. It's hard to wrestle with. But he says from, uh, from all the way through the Scriptures that our primary problem with God, certainly with Jesus, is our own self-centered, our, our ego, our pride, our self-reliance, our self-righteousness. Our disbelief. I do not want to give up power. We, are, we men especially are offended at the idea that we might not be the best ones to run and rule our own life. We think, I've got it, I'm competent, I can do it. In fact, I want to do it my way. Seems like somebody wrote a big song about that. The cry of humanity, I did it my way. I did it my way, do it my way. Well, um, you see, while we may have, really, we may have uh, intellectual and philosophical difficulties that, that, that are barriers to our belief that I think must be legitimately pondered and should be legitimately pondered. Jesus is saying here, our biggest barrier to belief is moral and a matter of the will, not a matter of the intellect and philosophy. Mortimer Adler, uh, I mean, you, you, you could argue that he was the greatest philosopher of the 20th century. I mean, he'd make a show, at least, wouldn't he, Dave? You know, pretty, pretty significant intellect. How many of you ever, have you ever heard of Mortimer Adler? Ever read a book by him? Yeah, a couple. My favorite book by him is entitled How to Read a Book. Um, it's a good book. I'd read it. I'd read it. Uh, he was born to uh, Jewish immigrant parents, non-practicing uh, Jewish immigrant parents in uh, 1902. Uh, bright kid, learner, um, went on to, to, to have a brilliant academic career. Um, just, just a couple of accomplishments in his life. He was the general editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, pretty bright guy. Uh, he, and along with a partner, were the originator of the Great Books Project. And, you know, some of you had to read, work through those in your college years, the, the gathering of all the great, what we consider the great writings of the Western, of Western thought. Um, uh, became very um, interested in God. He said the idea of God is the most prominent and influential idea in all of philosophy. It captures the imagination of most people worldwide. Uh, he early on discovered Thomas Aquinas, and became a rabid student of Thomas Aquinas, and became a Thomist himself, he said, at one point. Uh, he, 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 he wrote and thought and, and much about God and thinking about God, and thinking about God from a Christian worldview, and was very complimentary of it, and said that even he was influenced greatly by Christian thinkers, followers of Jesus, yet he kept refusing, saying, I, I can't become a Christian. I can't become a Christian. In fact, in a guy named Ken Myers interviewed Adler in 1980 right after uh, another one of his very popular books was published, How to Think About God. Ad he wrote it while still saying, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't believe in, in Jesus. But he, he wrote a, a really a good book, How to Think About God. And Myers, um, in the interview, says this. During that interview, I asked Adler why he had never embraced the Christian faith himself because he seemed so... Uh, positive about it. He explained that while he had been profoundly influenced by a number of Christian thinkers during his life, 
there were moral, not intellectual obstacles to his conversion. He did convert to Christ. He did place faith in Jesus uh, in his mid-80s. And after that time, when someone asked him, why after all, why did it take you so long to believe in and trust in Jesus? He said, well, I had, they were just, I, basically, I'm paraphrasing him. He said, you know, I had to think about all that I was going to have to give up. He didn't, he didn't say there were all these great intellectual, philosophical, this is one of the greatest minds who's ever lived. He said, I, my objections were moral. He identified the reason below, beneath the reasons. He said, I knew I was going to have to give up power. I was going to have to give up control. I was going to have to give up my life to Jesus. Um, so be careful. I mean, Jesus says here that when, when you come to Jesus, you do need evidence. Here's the evidence, he says, but he says the nature of unbelief is that you will deceive yourself to think there's this thing wrong or that thing wrong with Christianity when actually it's a power problem. Who's going to have power over me? Pastor Tim Keller writes this, Do you see? Unbelief starts with the assumption and refuses even to consider the possibility that you are not competent to run your life. You are not competent to be the ultimate arbiter of what is wise and what is right and what is wrong. Now, Hit the pause button and hear me say again. At Dogwood, we believe, we've always said this, that skeptics deserve to have their questions regarded with great respect and answered with, with, with serious consideration. Because we have all, all of us who are now believers in Jesus have been skeptics. There, there are big questions. Uh, uh, Jesus, in, in verses 20 through 24, He judged those three cities in Galilee because they willfully chose to disbelieve and would not repent. But He did not expect them to believe in Him just because He said so. And we do not expect uh, seekers and skeptics, and some of you are on that journey, like we were all on that journey, we do not expect seekers and skeptics to believe in Jesus just because Look, at that. Look around at us, how nice we are. Just a bunch of nice people who say, you're just supposed to believe in Jesus, so do it just because we say so. I don't, I don't certainly expect you to do that. Our church does not expect you to do that. In fact, we, we work to be a place where uh, serious philosophical and intellectual co uh, problems can be brought to the forefront and discussed and uh, a journey taken here. Jesus, did, Jesus didn't say to those cities, now you believe just because I say so. Why did He judge them? He said because after all of the miracles that had been performed in their presence, they would not repent. He said to, the, to two of the cities, if, if all the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which was a pagan, the, the pagan cities of that region, they would have repented and believed in me a long time ago. If, he said to Capernaum, if if all of the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. He, he did not say, just believe because I say so. That's what I love about Jesus. He overwhelmed them with evidence. Listen, the people, the generation that Jesus was talking to, when it comes to spiritual things, in the knowledge of Jesus, in the knowledge of God, 
This is the most privileged generation to exist in human history. Because after 400 years of silence, God sent John the Baptist the prophet, who he said more than a prophet. He's like super prophet to say, here I come, the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. And then God Himself stepped out of heaven and took on the form of a man, the incarnation, God uh, coming to, the, to earth as a man, Jesus, to say, here I am, this is what I'm like. He showed up in person to that entire generation. Not only that, He performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle uh, just in these three cities. Uh, We see if you back it up in in Matthew chapter 11, just a few verses, when he was answering the disciples of John the Baptist, he said, uh, uh, the the blind are receiving their sight, the the deaf are receiving their hearing, the lame can walk, uh, the gospel is being preached to to, uh, the poor, the dead are being raised, demons are being cast out. All of these these miracles. If you go back over to the gospel of John, uh, John, in in the end of his gospel about Jesus, says, uh, you know, this is not everything that Jesus did. He said, if we were to write down everything that Jesus said and taught and did when He was here on this earth, all the books in the world could not contain it. So all of the record of the miracles that Jesus performed, all of the teaching that He gave about who His identity and about the nature of the kingdom of heaven and this life together with, with God, uh, He did way, 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 way more than this out of control. He said all the books couldn't contain Him. These people had seen His miraculous power, uh, His miraculous teaching. They had seen Him in person. They were the most privileged people in the world in that they said, mm-mm. I'm not believing. And he said, not because you cannot, but because you will not. Why? You're like these kids. I want to stay in control. It's a power problem. It's power. And look at us. Let's, let's not think about those people out there. This is our main problem. This is why we resist Jesus. It's the reason under the... There are reasons. We need to deal with those reasons. But there's one big reason under the reasons. Jesus says here, there's enough evidence. I had a a high school buddy. He's two years older than me. He was the older brother of one of my lifelong best friends. uh, uh, Freshman year in college, when I'd come back to Jesus and was walking with him, uh, we all decided it was in the fall. We all decided to ride down to the West Georgia Fair. It was in time for the fair. And, uh, you know, just the smells of funnel cake and cotton candy. You know what, 60 feet long, curved, and, uh, and it was always at the West Georgia State uh, Fair. You know what it was? It was the, and had two teeth. It was the funnel cake line. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm Sorry. But, um, uh, and so we're riding down there, just, you know, fun. We're going to ride all the rides. And I, I like seeing all the big, they call it the fat stock show, all the cows and pigs and horses. And just really, I liked it. So we're riding down through there. You know, he knew that, that I had come to serious faith in Jesus. And he, said, he was saying, you know, I just don't really, I just, I, I've heard this all my life. I just don't really, if God would just ride it in the sky with the stars, Jesus, I am real. I'd believe in him. No, you wouldn't. Jesus said, you've, you've asked for evidence, and I've given it. It's 
He's given me, I've, me and my word. And he said, now, he said, but I can't study these things for you. And I won't. You must look at the evidence. There are two kinds of skeptics in the world. And again, at some point, all of us are skeptics before we come to faith. That's not a bad word. It's a good thing. You're searching. There are honest skeptics and dishonest skeptics. Honest skeptics say, I don't know. I don't know if, if Jesus, I don't know if there's a God. I certainly don't know if Jesus is God. I don't know if He's even knowable if He is God. Uh, but I'd like to know. And the way you can pick them out is they're willing to study and see. Dishonest skeptics say, I don't know if there's a God or not. I certainly don't know if Jesus is God or not. And if He is God, I'm not sure that He's knowable. I really don't want to know. Don't confuse me with the evidence. I'm not willing to look. Which are you? Pray with me. So I would just encourage you. You know, there's no use in praying if you don't pray honestly. Work yourself all the way back to where you're praying an honest prayer. And I would encourage you to say, if you're a seeker, you have good, good questions to say, and maybe you've been a dishonest seeker. Lord, I don't know if you're real. And I must confess that I have not wanted to know. I really just want to have power. But if you are real, I'm willing to look at the overwhelming evidence. Give me the power to do so. And some of you have seen enough evidence, but you've just been choosing to go your own way instead of God's way. And I would just encourage you to turn around. Repent of your sin. Admit your need for the Savior. Ask Him to come into your heart and life and substitute for you, atone for your own sin. And submit control of the direction and pace of your life in eternity to Jesus. You tell Him in your own way. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77. Or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.